2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, put it in perspective. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every time you hear some bear growling that the market has come up too far too fast, that stocks are overvalued and due for a so, fall, so, so. they're usually forgetting something, something big. They're forgetting the power of takeovers. When one company buys another, it can create so much value that you want to slap yourself in the face, wondering why the heck they didn't merge years ago. Then there's the PIN action. Whenever you get a deal, it tends to boost the value of all stocks in the same sector, which in turn drives up the entire market. The story plays out so regularly these days, including this one, Dow gaining 17 points, S&P inching up 0.10 percent, NASDAQ also up 0.10 percent, that you really have to factor it into your valuation calculus. It just makes you more bullish. Hey, come on, we saw it just today. When Hasbro made overtures to Mattel, which I think would be a brilliant move, you know we like the stock of Hasbro, Mattel's stock surged over 20%, merely on word that talks are happening. But more important, Hasbro, the potential acquirer, saw its stock jump 6% because the synergies would be so enormous, one toy company that owns all those toys. That's not supposed to happen, though. When you hear about a potential merger, the acquirer's stock normally goes down. Lately, though, we've seen a lot of deals just like this one, where both stocks go up. But it makes sense that this hazmat combination—like I could—oops, res- there's the man. God, I look, I look younger then. Hmm, could be. Anyway, um, this hazmat combination has—I kind of like that look. That's a good-looking suit. Oh, it's senior. no wonder. Um, it, it, this combination of investors are so excited. Hasbro's taking advantage of the recent Toys R Us bankruptcy, which crushed Mattel's earnings, and helped eliminate the company's long-standing dividend for a price that will likely be a lot lower than where it was trading as recently as seven or eight months ago. Now, you saw it in Semiconductor Land when Broadcom decided to pursue Qualcomm, a company with a fabulous reputation for technology, but that's been, hand, really been hampered by an epic battle with Apple! Apple's the largest customer! Customer's always right! Qualcomm stock traded $70 a little less than a year ago before crashing down to $50 as the lawsuits with Apple got ugly and legal experts began talking about Qualcomm taking its life in its own hands by taking on the richest company in the world. Someone should tell these guys that you should not defecate where you eat. Then along comes Broadcom, which, like Hasbro, sees an opportunity to take advantage of Qualcomm's self-inflicted wounds to buy it for a discount. Now, Qualcomm emphatically rejected Broadcom's bid today, saying the $70 price tag that Hock that, uh, that Tan, who's the CEO, offers is dramatically undervaluing the company. You know what? I couldn't agree more. But Broadcom can obviously afford to pay more, even as the proposed $105 billion deal—I'm telling you, takeovers are everything here—would already be the largest acquisition ever in the tech space. When it was first announced, Broadcom stock soared along with Qualcomm's, until you heard the definitive no from the latter last week. But the the rally made a lot of sense, as a merger with Broadcom would quickly solve the Apple issues. Apple and Broadcom have a great relationship everyone could live happily ever after. The rally in Qualcomm's stock today tells you that another bid could be afoot. I think the stock's still worth owning. Uh, knowing that Broadcom gives them a safety net, if Qualcomm loses to Apple in court, shareholders win either way. Then there's Tyson Foods, which bought Hillshire Brands for $7.7 billion three years ago after furious bidding war with another meat company. At the time... I thought it was dramatic overpay. I said so on the show, but it turned out to be a genius move. And Tyson's stock has zoomed from the low 40s to 75 as the company has consistently beaten expectations. Turned out it wasn't an overpay. It was an underpay. This morning's terrific earnings report confirms what CEO Tom Hayes told us not that long ago on the show, that the combination will let Tysons dominate at McDonald's, at the supermarket, at the export market. Hey, how about this one after the close Buffalo Wild Wings? Dow Jones reported tonight. Then it got a takeover bid north of 150 sent the stock skyward for 31 bucks. You know that all the restaurant stocks will be revalued upward tomorrow based on the Buffalo Wild Wings offer. <sighs> but how about the flip side? Not every takeover is a great idea. <laughs> on the flip side, you've got a company like General Electric, GE's become the poster child for bad acquisitions. Going all in on oil and gas at the peak, all in on power when the business was about to turn down. The oil service purchases near the peak and then during the downturn, Lufkin 2013, Baker Hughes year, were bad enough. But the worst was GE's $10 billion takeover of Alstom's power business in 2015. At the same time, GE sold NBC Universal, parent company's network, to Comcast for what now looks like a song. And over the course of several years, they divested some pretty good financial businesses that could be coining money for them right now. (laughs) Finally, it was right to keep them. It's like they were deliberately trying to get everything wrong. How bad is it? Bad enough to force GE to cut its dividend in half today. Bad enough for the stock to lose seven percent of its value just in one day alone, and from June it's gone from twenty nine dollars to nineteen. It was lower today. Of course, it wasn't just the dividend that got the Steve Buchen, the Steve wood chopper uh, treatment. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Like Asplund, it was also the earnings estimates. The twenty eighteen, yeah, they they took the Asplund to GE. You know what? The chipper shredder. Ooh, that's a good image. The 2018 number declined steadily from two bucks. Then they're going to buck eighty. Then we're going to buck sixty. I mean, Jeff Email told us that on the um, on the show. Buck sixty was the uh, consensus estimates. A one twenty five, and now it's down to a dollar. Uh, that's horrendous. This is a big company. How could they be off so much? Now, before I tell you what I think can happen here, let me just say that I got the stock of GE wrong. My Chapel Trust owns it. It's been terrible. It's a big mistake. I believed in the numbers the company put out. Does that make me a dope? I don't know. I was suspicious of the oil and gas and Alstom power buys. But the company was so wildly and now clearly irresponsibly bullish about the synergies that I found it difficult to be as skeptical as I should have been as I normally am. I should have figured that the story was too good to be true, but I knew GE, I knew the people. Well, that was wrong. I should have been far more critical of how GE accounted for its numbers because they were uniquely opaque. If the company had been more open when it comes to disclosure, I would have told you to sell the stock ages ago. But that's on me. I should have been better. I have been very critical of both myself and the old Jeff Immelt regime. I did think today, though, was a breath of fresh air. The new CEO, John Flannery, you know, he's a 30-year GE veteran, but don't hold that against him. He's going to sell a bunch of divisions to raise money, including oil and gas. And perhaps most important, he's going to shake up the board, remove directors who checked off on so many wrong-headed decisions. Let's spread the blame here a little. That board is culpable. I say bring it on. The good news here is that Ed Garden from Tryon, Nelson Peltz's excellent engaged investor fund, has joined the board. And while having one truly involved and active director may not seem like much to you, it could give Flannery cover to make even tougher choices. Board shrinking from 18 to 12. Uh, Garden might have even more influence. Good news, uh, given his reputation for cutting the fat and changing the culture of companies he digs into. Is GE the stock a buy down here? That's a rough one. Plannery said today that next year is a massive, heavy lift. I don't know. I don't like to lift massively. More important, if the company's only going to earn a dollar per share next year, then it should be valued at around 17 at most. Because that's the price to earnings multiple of the weakest conglomerates in the market right now. And GE is by far the weakest conglomerate. Now, it doesn't do any good to call GE a travesty anymore, rail against the ill advised accounting, or even pillory the old CEO. I'm kind of done with that. Actually, everybody's done with that. I do think it's worth slagging the board of directors since they're still there. I think anyone who checked off on this mess has got to go. All that said, you own GE? I don't recommend selling it down 40% year-to-date because if Flannery is at all successful at cleaning house and cutting expenses, I think it can earn more than a buck next year, which would make its stock too cheap to ignore at $18 to $19. Maybe it doesn't get through 17 But Flannery has to act fast. There can be no sacred cows, no more hype, no more unfulfilled promises. Out-of-control expenses must be reduced. Divisions have to be separated. And if necessary, GE may need to disappear. Why? It may need to disappear because the previous management wrecked this once great American industrial. We will hear from John Flannery tomorrow on Squawk on the Street. I hope you'll tune in. It's going to be around 9.30. The bottom line, I often talk about how important management is to the value of a company. You can see the positive side of this with Hasbro and Broadcom, Tyson, maybe Buffalo Wild Wings. But if you want to know the damage bad management can do to an enterprise, just look at GE. The only industrial of this whole era that's actually gone backwards during a renaissance of American manufacturing. Let's go to Jim in Massachusetts, please, Jim. Uh, Hi. Hi, Jim. Booyah to you. Booyah. Thanks uh, for convincing me to invest in NVIDIA. And uh, my questions tonight are about
1: uh, Dow DuPont. Uh, One, are you happy with its current
0: merger strategy? Two, I'm thinking of, of selling some of them
2: some of the stock is it a good uh, I, I don't good? want you I don't want you to do that Jim now I just beat myself up over uh GE but made much more money on Dale DuPont that's Ed Breen Ed Breen is the anti-Jeff Immelt he's tough he's uh, not opaque you don't have to go and look up Google the different statistics they use he's a very good manager I want you to uh, don't sell a share how about Connor my home state of New Jersey Connor a big behemoth fashion bar, San Miguel, you, Ukraine. Holy cow! A delicious chips, buya uh, right back at you. What's going on? Well, I haven't been to your restaurant. I've been watching your show since I've been in high school, Jim, and I thank you for there all, you all your inspiration and knowledge. Well, you know what? We so when we were here at West Point, what a great, oh, great time we had. Thank you again to the military academy. So, so many younger people watching the show. It's kind of. Hey, it's just a, it's, it's just fabulous. And I was up at ESPN yesterday. A lot of people watch the show there too. How can I help? So Jim, I've
1: been following the stock of Arconic for a long time Yeah, now. it seems to be and breaking down, down sideways.
2: here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where it's going. What do you think? I think it's worth more than it's selling, but obviously the stock's breaking down. I was talking to my uh, writing colleague, Matt Horween, who's looking at the chart and says it's definitively given up the ghost. I think there's a lot of value there, and it's going to be brought out uh, when we get the management team uh, really in action. So I'm I'm not disheartened. But I see it's going to go down before it goes up. But we're going to hold it for action alerts. We're going to tell club members that when we have our big conference call tomorrow. All right, we've seen takeovers that are bountiful. We've seen management that brings their companies forward. Then we've seen GE, the only industrial company of the era going backwards. And all I can say is, what a shame. What a shame. Well, man, buddy, today you may not know International Flavors and Fragrances products, but chances are you sniffed, sipped, or or perhaps savored the company's work for years without knowing it. Could innovative new items help this tech stock that masquerades as a fra- flavors and fragrance company go higher? Then, American shoppers haven't entirely given up on retail. I'm eyeing the dollar store cohort to see which place could pay in the space. And a company that's working with the likes of Amazon, FedEx, and Kellogg, and you may never have heard of it. I'll reveal the name, so stick with... Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to Madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at one 800 743 cnbc Miss something? Head to madmoney.cndc.com.
2: A very good year for one of my favorite companies, International Flavors and Fragrances, IFF. Even though the stock is up 27% for 2017, you know what? This company doesn't get nearly enough credit from Wall Street. I like to describe IFF as a stealth technology play. company develops proprietary flavors and scents for the food, beverage, personal care, and household products industries. We know how competitive things have gotten in the food and consumer packaged goods space. These businesses are always fighting for market share. They need any edge they can get, which is where IFF comes in. Because a better taste or a better smell can give these players a real advantage over your competitors. Now, last week, IFF reported an excellent quarter, a five-cent earnings beat off a dollar forty-two basis, higher than expected revenue of twelve percent year over year. Stock surged in response, although thanks to the weakness late in last week, the stock is now four bucks down from its fifty-two week high. So, should you pounce? Let's take a closer look with Andreas fibbig he's the chairman and CEO of International Flavors and Fragrances. Find out more about the quarter and how great this fantastic old-line company, believe it or not is doing. Mr. Fibbick, welcome back to Mad Money. Nice to meet Good you. to see you. Holy cow, you brought me some Bar San Miguel tortilla yeah. chips. I hope it tastes as well as it looks. Well, like. let's find out. Yeah. Uh, I immediately want to know, and our viewers want to know. Okay, so what do you do for taste? What is, it, you know, what is your part in the process? So what is really important here is that if you
0: look at the new taste, the new what people really want, what new, what younger people want mm-hmm. and how taste is changing in this country, it's really important that you have a clean label. And that's something which we accomplish yes. here with mango salsa. A clean salsa. label. Clean label. Now, what does that mean? That means basically that you have very few artificial ingredients. Right. It's all natural.
2: And is that because the younger people, they look at this stuff now, right? They look at They look at, at the label, yeah,
0: absolutely. We
2: never looked. You and I never looked, right? We just took it for granted. tasted good.
0: True. So that is a clean label product, and uh, we believe it will excellent fit into the the remake of restaurants like Bar San Miguel.
2: Well, let me ask you, this has a terrific kick to it. The old days, I would presume if you bought it in a store, it wouldn't have a kick because too many people would not want it has it chipped to the point where if it doesn't have a kick, younger people won't take it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the reason why you really have to segment your consumers. And that's what we do. We do every single year around about 500,000 consumer interviews to find oh, out God. what is specific, what is going on, what is the latest trend, and then we design our products.
2: Now, I saw you've got this huge plant factory uh, open up in China. Now, I mean, to me, that means you had a billion more people who maybe even introduced. To, well, I know IFF does business everywhere, but this is a very important plant,
0: right? No, ab- absolutely, and we have outgrown our our uh, older ingredients plant in China, and that's the reason why we built a new one with a. More capacity and with a better sustainability footprint as well to make sure that we basically comply to all the regulations right. and that we can show what we can do in China and that's mostly actually for the Chinese market and some export as well.
2: Okay, well, Andreas, One of the things that uh, people need to know, it's not like you're putting up numbers. Twenty percent uh, profitability, adjusted operating profit margin, high returns, seventeen point six percent operating cash flow growing. But you're not a young company. How are you able to accelerate like
0: this? Yeah, actually company is 128 years years old. So there are two secrets, I, I would say. One is differentiation through technology. Right. And if you look like to a product like this, it's a lot of technology in which helps us basically to create these products. We acquired a company called Powder Pure in Oregon earlier this this year and what they take is they take food side streams and have an infrared drying technology which is patented and they make it into powder and it is 100 percent natural you can use it for taste solutions it's in here for example and for color solutions so differentiation is key and the second thing is what we have discovered over the last couple of years that many of our smaller customers are actually much more dynamic in the market than the bigger ones. And we have now an extra unit, it's called TastePoint here in the U.S., right. focusing on this middle market,
2: and it's really growing very well in double digits. Well, yeah, this is interesting, because the fight over Procter & Gamble was a battle, and this is uh, Mr. Peltz uh, versus mm-hmm. the board. Was it a was fight over the little units that, are, that have the, that hit home? Versus the big ones. And then we, I, I talk to Estee Lauder all the time. They are an incubator, but they must be using you. No,
0: absolutely. Certainly, both companies are a customer, right. customer of ours. And they're doing a nice job, in particular, uh, Estee Lauder, in these smaller customers. They're it's buying these companies, and they're leveraging it, it very, very well. And that's exactly how we do it with Powder Pure and with Lucas Myers Cosmetics, where we have right. active uh, cosmetic ingredients now.
2: Now, uh, that has to be local, too, because I am told from uh, people who use the iPhone and big big, uh, cosmetic companies, every market is different. And for cosmetics, every market is different. So you have to be local just to be able to service those markets. Absolutely. And IFF has 34 creative
0: centers in different countries and markets where we really find out what the consumer wants and what can we offer to our customers.
2: All right, one last thing, because I know we've got to go, but please tell people how much, how many roses you have to use, say, to get an ounce of rose oil. Yeah,
0: it's almost a metric ton for just a kilogram, which A is metric huge. ton? Yeah. So you have to have roses from all over the world. All over the world. We have uh, fields in Turkey or in Romania to harvest it and bring it to grass in France, where we do all these natural solutions.
2: Well, you're, you know, you work at a remarkable company, and you're terrific CEO. That's, An- that's Andreas Fibbing. He's the uh, International Flavors and Fragrances Chairman and CEO. We all call it IFF. What a great company. Thank you so much. Thank you. The economy's humming. Unemployment's at the lowest level in ages. Wages are finally on the rise. So why the heck are the dollar store stocks at or near their 52 week highs. This is not how the economy is supposed to work. When business picks up, you typically expect consumers to stop trading down, start trading up, go to fancier places. But the dollar store stocks are telling you a very different story. For years, Dollar Tree and Dollar General, which are really the two remaining huge dollar store chains, saw their stocks steadily rise and made perfect sense because consumers still felt burned by the Great Recession. Starting around August of 2016, though, both companies stumbled and their stocks struggled to find their footing. For Roughly the next year, they were subpar performance. But in the last few months, both Dollar Tree and Dollar General stocks have come roaring back. Dollar Tree stocks up more than 40 percent from its summer lows. Dollar General is gaining nearly 27 percent. Not too shabby. Those are stunning moves. But they beg the question, how do the dollar stores get their groove back in a stronger economy? And more importantly, can the rebound be sustained? To understand why these stocks have been on fire lately, you need to know why they got slammed in the first place. So let's start with what caused last year's big sell-off. In August of last year, Dollar General stock literally fell off a cliff, dragging Dollar Tree down with them. It was unbelievable. What went wrong? When the company reported second quarter results for 2016, they delivered slightly weaker than expected earnings, but much worse than expected same-store sales. You know I always tell you that's the key metric. They were up just 0.7%. Wall Street was looking for a 2.7% increase. That's a gigantic miss. Ouch! On well, the conference call, Dollar General blamed the weather. They blamed food deflation. They blamed food stamp cutbacks as all major issues. But they also pointed to intensifying competition. From other value-oriented staple retailers like Walmart, whose stock's doing great. And that was in the midst of its own resurgence. And of course, it goes without saying that Amazon's always a threat to anyone in retail. Dollar General's management laid out plans to get people back in the stores by cutting prices. But investors didn't feel like giving them the benefit of the doubt after that precipitous slowdown. That very same day. We also got results from Dollar Tree. And while the company's earnings were strong, its same-store sales, too, were pretty disappointing. They were up 1.2%. Wall Street was expecting 2.3%. These are big magnitude people. Unlike Dollar General, Dollar Tree cited a weak economic environment. Remember, this was during the summer slowdown, if we want to call it that, of 2016, as the cause of their weakness. Although they also mentioned competition, saying consumers had more options in terms of bargain stores. The result... Well, Dollar General stock plummeted nearly 17% on the news, and Dollar Tree stock lost nearly 10% of its value. This was in a single session, people. And if you thought this was just an isolated, bad earnings period, you were gravely mistaken. Over the next few quarters, the dollar store chains continued to disappoint. By the time the third quarter rolled around, Dollar Tree delivered some decent 1.7% store sales growth. But Dollar Gen gave you a hideous 0.1% decline. Culprits? Food stamp cuts, food deflation, lower pricing designed to gain market share. Analysts fretted that all of Dollar General's excess inventory would put real pressure on the company's margins. It was a nasty time. And the fourth quarter results in March weren't much better. Granted, both Dollar Tree and Dollar General delivered nice top and bottom line beats, but this time Dollar Tree's same-store sales decelerated from 1.7 down to 1.2 percent. More importantly, both chains have disappointing earnings guidance for the next quarter. Now, it is a good thing that they cut their forecasts because when they reported again late in May, Dollar Tree and Dollar General both gave us underwhelming sub-1% same-store sales growth. Although at least this time they had the excuse that tax refunds were delayed this year. So many of their customers had less disposable income that period. We bought into that theory. In short, things were not looking good. However, it's important to point out that during this period of serial disappointments, both chains were indeed working hard to turn things around. Dollar Tree initially saw some success with their traffic initiatives. They remodeled some of their stores, tested new products, and spruced up their health and beauty offerings. As for Dollar Tree, my personal favorite, remember these guys acquired Family Dollar, the laggard of the group back in 2015? And during the first quarter of this year, those Family Dollar stores finally started to show some long-awaited improvement. And that was a big delta, as we call it. Both stocks ended up bottoming this past summer, and since then, they've been off to the races. Dollar Tree vaulted from 65 to over $93 as of today. That's a move worth catching. Dollar General climbing from 66 to over 83 Oh, and they both pulled back nicely today. So if you've been waiting for that opportunity, this could be your chance. It could be premature. First, we need to understand what's driving the rebound. Most of this run came after the dollar stores reported their second quarter results. Let's look at those. Dollar Tree reported on August 24th, and it delivered a nice top and bottom line beat when people were not looking for that. And it gave you a substantial acceleration in same-store sales growth, rising to 2.4%. That was much better than we've seen over the previous year. Even better, the company raised, not cut, this time, but raises full-year earnings guidance. Dollar Tree saw positive uh, traffic, leading management to say, and I'm going to quote here: "No reason to believe that we're not with the wind to our back." Holy cow, they had wind in their faces the last few quarters. More important. The stores the company acquired from Family Dollar—they are seeing major improvement now. Their same-store sales have gone positive. Gross margins grew by leaps and bounds, up 550 basis points year-over-year. Year. Again, people, this really hard to move that battleship that fast. Then Dollar General posted a solid quarter a week later, slightly stronger than expected revenue, a tiny earnings miss, but more important the company's same-store sales increased by 2.6%. I cannot stress that metric enough. Again, that's a heck of a lot better than what we've been seeing over the previous year. Dollar General's efforts to boost traffic like remodeling stores, rolling out more health and wellness offerings. I've been there. They've really done this. Selling more fresh produce. They're paying off. Meanwhile, management told us that the headwinds they've been experiencing have started to abate. Food price deflation is less of a problem. And consumers have adjusted to the decrease in food stamp benefits. And Dollar General believes they keep bringing in more customers while boosting their gross margins via better sourcing and logistics, not to mention making the stores run more efficiently. Now, some of this comeback simply has to do with an improving economy and a value-conscious consumer. The cheapness people learned during the Great Recession, this is that new frugality I talk about, won't be disappearing anytime soon. But a lot of it is because both Dollar Tree and Dollar General buckled down and did what they had to do to turn things around. Plus, let's not forget that both chains will be facing very easy compares for the better part of next year, meaning will look really good versus what happened last year, which means that they should be able to continue to report good, good earnings. Suddenly, the industry seems like it's back in business. And while the stocks have rallied hard from here, you know what? They're still not that expensive. Dollar General, se- General 17 times. Dollar Tree, only for 18 times. You know, it's a bit more expensive than TJX, which my charitable trust owns, but cheaper than Walmart. Here's the bottom line. If they're struggling for the better part of the year, the dollar stores have gotten their group back. And even though the stocks have run in recent months, I think Dollar Tree and Dollar General could have more upside, which is why they look so attractive when their stocks pull back like they did on this very day. Let's go to Ralph in Hawaii. Ralph. Oh, yeah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, J.D., last week they bought the beef. Sunday night, they came out with some fantastic numbers. What do you think They about- were great numbers. JD.com did report great numbers. The only stock that I'm recommending over there is Alibaba, and it had a little profit-taking. But JD did have great numbers. You're absolutely right. All right, got dollar signs in your eyes? Well, the dollar stores make a lot of sense here. I think Dollar Tree and Dollar General could have more room to run. I am more partial to Dollar Tree. Much more mad money at with 42 days until Christmas, that's all. I'm focusing on an unconventional holiday play. Don't miss my exclusive with the company that has a hand in many of your favorite e-commerce names. So you probably don't even know it. Then speaking of holiday shopping, I'll tell you if Macy's needs a miracle on 34th Street to survive the retail may last. At least for bricks and mortar. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer.
1: tomorrow kick off the trading day with squawk on the street live from post 9 at the NYSE
2: it's already that time uh, david i know we need some favorite gin it and go so, it goes so fast what if my pennsylvania state feel I like feel like it. mr rogers going to put on the sweater and say yeah, sing the goodbye I don't song. Have any sweaters
1: to rich all right it all starts at 9 a.m. eastern
2: About how Amazon and its online brethren are tearing old fashioned brick and mortar retailers to shreds. But there are also some less obvious winners from the ascendancy of e commerce. Take DCT Industrial Trust, DCT for you, home gamers. It's a real estate investment trust that owns a combination of bulk distribution centers and light industrial properties across high demand markets here in the U.S. In other words, DCT is very much about the rise of e-commerce, acting as a landlord for the network of warehouses and distribution centers that are essential to shipping goods quickly throughout the economy, throughout the country. For example, they lease space to Amazon, which you know, which is one of our faves. It needs a lot of warehouse and distribution centers to make their free two-day delivery for Prime customers possible. Now, DCT just reported a solid quarter. It was a week and a half ago, and the stock just made a new high today, giving us a 28% gain since the last time we spoke to the CEO, roughly 11 months ago. And that's not even factoring its 2.4% yield, which is nothing to sneeze at. I like this story, and you know that, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Phil Hawkins. He's the president and CEO of DCT Industrial Trust. you more about about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Hawkins, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you, Bill. Have a seat. Thank you. you All right, sometimes numbers just speak for themselves. (laughs) 98% occupancy. No one has that. I mean, what kind of demand do you have?
1: You know, couldn't have dreamed it five years ago. We're not complaining today. The opportunity to create so is pushing rents. And cash flow. So as a result, earnings have done well. We had a good quarter.
2: Now, one of the things that you said in your conference call I thought was really kind of interesting. You talked about it's not necessarily, you say, oh, I'll just quote you. Um, they, people want to be in places that industrial hasn't necessarily been before, or it's very old industrial product that needs to be redone and it just takes time. So this is especially that I think is, people don't realize. They might say, oh, warehouses, anyone, there's no gating factor. But you've got a very particular set of skills.
1: You know, it's a different business than it was 10 years ago. When you go out and buy a cornfield from a farmer, right, that's you know, what you now you're in, in locations much closer to the city, land that has some other use on it or some other problem. Our focus for 10 years has been go find that land, solve the problem, tear down the building, rezone it, whatever it takes to create an opportunity, but it's more surrounded by it's less likely to be exposed to more supply than you'd want.
2: Well, that's why when I look at the map of where you are, I mean, you're basically where people are. And I'm used to distribution. I mean, like, I go on I-95. Uh, from <laughs> Phil. I'm from Philadelphia, from Philadelphia, New York. And there used to be the cornfields, and then there would be these big boxes. And you'd say, distribution center. But that's not where you are. You're right next to where the people are.
1: You want to be right where the people are. Right. And in today's world, you know, customers want to – Tomorrow, they want it today, right. and they—they you know, they can get it today. And we want to help our customers figure that out.
2: Now, a lot of your companies that are clients, like, you know, James Smucker, Kellogg, Coca-Cola, of course, I mean, these are consumer product good companies. So they are obviously part of the e-commerce chain now very much so, too.
1: Their product is being
2: consumed a lot of different ways, brick
1: and mortar, but more and more often online.
2: Now, are you, uh, let's say you uh, you go into New York, are you looking for abandoned factory spaces? That's what's best.
1: You know, we've been more focused on uh, probably easier to develop than that. You uh, might have an old warehouse on it. Right. It could have a a, a a shopping center, for example.
2: Yeah, but that's where I'm going. <laughs> I wanted to know. I mean, there's a. We keep hearing about these malls that are dead or dying, but they're near local popu- big populations. Are they natural targets? You, you know, we're working on
1: a few. Okay. The challenge is zoning. Nobody wants our product, and our because product of trucks you, trucks and noise. Right. And the challenge we uh, we're looking for any site. There's no easy. Formula? Right. We need to find the solution that works for the location itself. It might be a, an abandoned or, or underutilized a mall. It could be a former warehouse. It could be a, a, a former uh, uh, factory that has environmental issues.
2: I oh, mean, a, oh, so a brownfield? A brownfield. And you can use it because it's, depending upon what you put in there, it's okay. You have,
1: we have less exposure than perhaps some other uses, and we're working with brownfield developers who can help solve some of those problems as well.
2: You know, I want to ask you, there's an article today about something that a lot of our viewers are fascinated about, which is autonomous vehicles. Do you see autonomous vehicle trucks coming up to your to your factories and unloading right there? Because you've got robots inside. I mean, everything could be, be digitized.
1: You know, automation is perhaps a key to productivity. The challenge our customers have is more people than real estate. Truck drivers? Oh, really? oh People in the, in the warehouses, while there may be a lot of uh, automation, right. they need a lot of people to get those parcels out to the consumer. Okay. Staffing right now is a big challenge, I think, every,
2: throughout the economy. We mentioned that your conference call, but I figured you guys know how to get them better than anybody.
1: Well, you know, you try, right. and, and you, but, but finding those people is the biggest challenge all of us have, even our
2: company. Wow. Okay, hey, just go back for a second. The, oh, the self-driving car. I was on an Nvidia truck. Yeah. I was on an Nvidia conference call. DHL's the biggest, and DHL's. You know that. You. You. I mean, I have to believe that all <laughs> these companies are the kinds of things. I mean, you're in contact with FedEx and UPS. Are they just coming in and out of your places constantly? You
1: know, the the logistics companies are thriving right now. Uh, many of them are public. Many right. of them you talk about. And they're all thriving because they're, they're, solving a, they're solving a problem that needs to be solved, right. which is getting product through congested highways to a consumer
2: right. as quickly as possible. Well, I am so glad you came on last time. I just I tell people always want real estate investment trusts, but they, you know, they don't necessarily want the these shopping malls other than federal realty. You're the best way to play this whole e-commerce. I really think so because it's just, cons- you, you should look, and I want everyone to look. Before <laughs> you buy anything, the consistency of your company is rather amazing.
1: You know, sustained results is important. That's we've what, been, what? F- We've focused on, a, on locations that will drive over a long periods of time. And that's, to me, the secret of delivering
2: consistent results over time. Well, it sure has worked for you, and it's worked for our viewers. That's Phil Hawkins, president and CEO of DCT Industrial Trust. This is the real e-commerce economy. Mad money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the Lightroom. It's time the the Play the sound. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, it's time for the 90 round question. We're going to start with Bill in New York. Bill. Hi, Jim. How are you? Good. Bill, how about you? I'm good. I uh, just was hoping you give me your thoughts on brinks. Oh, man, we like brakes. Remember we did that piece about uh, ah, and my the my marijuana bar. retailers need brakes? The stock has come down a lot, I think it's a buy. Let's go to Nikki in Illinois. Nikki. Yeah, hi, hi, Jim. The stock is uh, Rio Tinto. You know, I'd rather own Freeport. Honestly, FCX, I think, is fine. Let's go to Corey in New Jersey. Corey. Hi, Jim. Booyah, booyah. Hey. Double this booyah. a sad giant fan from the state of New Jersey. Ugh. Got a question for you on Cisco. I think when Cisco reports this week, I expect a decent quarter... Uh, I don't expect a blog quarter, but I expect a decent quarter. Let's go to Lance in Florida. Lance! Jim, booyah to you! Booyah! Love the show. I got a two-part question, Jim, uh, regarding Acadia, ACAD. With a 35% decline in the past three weeks... Would you currently add to the position at these levels? You know what? I'm going to have to do a deep dive on why it fell down 35% rather than just say, hey, it looks like a good level because that's a pretty steep decline. Let me do some work. How about David in Kentucky? David. Jim, thank you for taking the call. I have a question about CSX. I like Union Pacific more. I think Union Pacific is a better rail. Let's go to Rob in New York. Rob. Yeah. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, Mr. um, uh, 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 This is Rob from Pleasantville. I want to thank you and the staff for all you do. And Absolutely. my stock is ENB, Enbridge. You know, I've liked Enbridge because it's a growth pipe. And I think that those are fine. It's got a decent yield. And I think that uh, I count as in favor of it. It's got a 5% yield. And it's out of 52-week low. That seems like a bargain to me. Al Monaco comes on the show. He's stand up. Let's go to Adi in Indiana. Adi. Hey,
1: Jim, this Adi here. Booyah.
2: Booyah.
0: Hey, I'm a new fan of your show. Really enjoying watching it. Thank you.
1: Hey, uh, I'm calling about this company, Lock Me In. I actually heard about it uh, on your show you know, a few weeks ago. Right. Uh, the company has been posting pretty good earnings for past couple of quarters, but the stock has been taking a beating for past Well, I mean, it's weeks. valued
2: at some outrageous level for connectivity. I've got to tell you, I'm taking a pass on it up here. It's, uh, I, I don't know, man. That seems rich. Elliot, New York, Elliot. Hey, Jim, Booyah. Booyah. My question is on ELF Beauty, the last yeah, quarter. ELF, they had a decent quarter. Nobody cared. This is what's bothering me. That's why I've been saying Estee Lauder, Estee Lauder, Estee Lauder, EL. Go to Jordan in Texas, Jordan. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. <laughs> hey, I was wondering uh, what you thought about B now trading down here below book value. Is so it time to back the truck? No, I mean, like I you know, look, I. These oil stocks are just too rough on me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Maybe I'm sentimental and nostalgic, but I always root for bricks and mortar retail. Perhaps it's because my family always met at the Wanamaker's Eagle. Or because my mom worked at Litz and my dad worked at Gimbel's, two defunct chains that were once retail bedrock, at least in Philadelphia. So when I listened to the Macy's and JCPenney conference calls last week, I kept wanting to hear that the holiday season would be just like a few years ago. When Macy's stock traded at 73 bucks July of 2015 and Penny ticked at 43 back in February of 2012, they're at 19 and $2.95 today. Instead, we heard the same kind of tale of woe, the struggling stories, the same defensive nature, with the only twist being a better control of inventory in a sense that they can continue to plot along. Something that the people behind Gimbal's and Litz failed to do. So give them that. Now, there was a lot to like on the Macy's call as CEO Jeff Gannett reassured us about the balance sheet. Let you feel pretty darn good about the stock's 7.8% yield. Gave us a sense that Macy's is here to stay. And that, along with the lean inventory, is why the stock rallied so hard when it reported. J.C. Benny's Marvin Ellison, the CEO, talked about how retail is a balance between art and science and curation by smart merchants. I liked his comments. But I wonder if maybe these days it's more about science and price. Because isn't that exactly what Amazon offers to its customers? Penny may know what its customers like by looking at what they bought, but Amazon seems to be able to anticipate and offer anything at even lower prices if they want to. Penny has to pay rent, pay salespeople and be ready for an on or offline purchase, which means they, can, they, they have to have a lot of inventory, maybe too much. Amazon by its nature has none of those problems. And it's not like you can say Penny has a customer base that's very loyal after the old regime, the one previous to this one, burned all the bridges with their old customer base. I like that Penny has a solid franchise in its Sephora store within a store. That's cosmetics. And that appliances seem to be selling well, according to the call. But I wonder if this is one of those, is that all there is situations? I mean, the once huge chain that is JCPenney may be an afterthought. Macy's fortunately never went through a bitter and failed redo and has substantial real estate assets that it can still monetize. But here's what I really like about the new CEO, Jeff Gannett. I felt that Macy's stores had gotten tired, but Gannett is doing everything he can to make them look better while rolling out a a new loyalty program to retain longtime, big time customers. Although they might as well just turn that thing over to Salesforce.com. I think they would do a better job. Now, look, I don't mean to pick on Macy's or J.C. JCPenney. It's just that I have a lot more nostalgia for these chains than for the relative newcomers like Nordstrom or Kohl's. That's, of course, because I'm in the East, especially since I grew up in a household where all we did was talk about retail. However, Nordstrom and Kohl's are very different animals from the traditional mall-based players like Macy and J.C. JCPenney. Nordstrom's store count is less than half the size of either Big Dog. It's still putting up new locations, including, by the way, a new flagship store in New York City that opens next year. Kohl's has a larger store count, but they're also still adding to it. Meanwhile, Macy's is closing 68 stores, Penny's shutting down 138. That said, all of these chains share the desire to make their brick-and-mortar art more, art more than science, and, and, and they want it to be a virtue, typically by talking, up about, some, talking about something that is a little or, uh, kind of hard to understand. They talk about BOPUS, BOPUS, B-O-P-U-S. That's uh, buy on, uh, online, pickup up in store, BOPUS, for lack of a better acronym. I guess I gotta go get BOPUSed. To me, it all seems a little forced, frankly. Only Coles has this strip mall parking lot that makes it easier to BOPUS. The rest just don't have many locations that are BOPUS-like in order to be BOPUS conducive to BOPUS takeout. The fact is, if you had to start Macy's over right now, you'd either throw it throw in the towel from the get-go, or you'd go 100% online. You wouldn't bop us. And that's really the sad fact here. Just like we would never have built cars for humans if we had known that robots could drive them better, we wouldn't have built malls knowing that the Internet could be a more efficient ordering system. Yes, they'll always be used for department stores, but they're kind of relics. And there's no reason they need to stay alive. No more than gimbals or lits did. When they were entrenched, strong competitors in the Philadelphia area. It's why Walmart's tying up with the once-exclusive Lord & Taylor tonight. And it doesn't shock me. Yep, I am nostalgic. But then again, I, too, would rather stay home and order from the comfort of my couch. Call it Booga! Or buy online and get it home. Because isn't Booga more like this nation style? Stick with both. Oh, stick with cream. a few seconds left, I just feel like I lost in the shuffle, forgot to talk about NVIDIA and Disney. Both had excellent quarters. Both stocks are up. Both stocks, I still think, are worth buying. NVIDIA has had a big run, but I think it is absolutely terrific. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer I will see you tomorrow.